Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, so welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Always a pleasure to be here with our Catholic audience on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. <clears throat> Listen, folks, uh, I've been getting all these messages from people asking me, um, I mean, obviously people hear my show and they know that I like talking about the family, talking about uh, what it means to be a good Catholic family. But lately I've been talking to a lot of men who have been struggling with different things, uh, different personal sins, different ideas that they're either not good enough, they're not sure what they're doing. And one of the questions is, how can I be a good Catholic father? What does that mean? You know, it's a, it's a deep question. It's not something that we're going to answer uh, in one show necessarily, but we can take a crack at it and just get some pointers as to how do we even unravel this? Because in today's day and age, boy, I got to tell you, that can feel, it feels like a daunting task. It feels like it's too much. I don't even know what to do anymore because some parents will tell me, some dads will tell me my kids don't listen to me. Some dads will say, gosh, I'm not having a good relationship with my wife. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, sometimes I'm trying to lead a good life, but she doesn't want to be here. On the converse side, I hear a lot of wives coming to me and saying, I'm so disappointed. You know, my husband, he doesn't go to church with us. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to raise a good Catholic family. I'm trying to be a good mom. I'm trying to be a good example for my kids, but I don't know how to do that because my husband's not there with us. My husband, he shows up, he provides for us. He brings home the bacon. He brings home a check. Uh, he has a, he has a fine job. We're not wanting for anything material, but there's something missing in the family. And my husband doesn't go to church with us or he doesn't pray with us, or I just feel really disconnected. I'm trying to lead a good Catholic life, but he feels so distant, like he's just not involved. That can be really, really hard for families. It can be really hard for us because we have to ask ourselves, what's going on with the Catholic family? Is it easy nowadays to lead a Catholic life? You know, I always go back to this quote. <clears throat> Sister Lucia from Fatima was being interviewed by Cardinal Carlo Cafara of Bologna. Well, he sent her a letter. He wasn't directly interviewing her. He sent a letter to her bishop. And he said he wasn't sure if he was going to get a reply from her. And the reason he sent the letter to her and wanted to get her uh, uh, her input on the family was because at the time, Pope John Paul II had given him a job. He told him to establish the Pontifical Institute for the Studies on Marriage and the Family. And so he wanted to get a little bit more insight from somebody who was obviously had some connection with heaven directly at some point. And this is what, one of the quotes that she replied to him in her letter was, the final battle between the Lord, obviously Christ, the Lord and the reign of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Don't be afraid, she added, because anyone who operates for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be contended and opposed in every way, because this is the decisive issue. And then she concluded, however, Our Lady has already crushed its head. Well, <clears throat> that's pretty powerful news. What does that mean? There's a decisive issue here and a final battle. Dads, pay attention. The first thing that this tells me is, yeah, it's going to be hard to be a dad. Yeah, it's going to be hard to be the head of the family. Why? Because there's a battle and somebody's going to try to confuse us or someone's trying to, going to try to make us feel insecure or someone's going to play on our emotions and make us feel like 
we're not good enough or we're not loved or, or, you know, we should be more overbearing or something. Regardless of the situation, there's going to be some confusion there that we're going to have to fight off. Here's another prophecy. If you're into prophecies, Our Lady of Good Success, 17th century. Now, this apparition of Our Lady of Good Success was not approved by the Vatican itself. The Vatican has 16 apparitions it has approved, but there are many apparitions of Our Lady that have been approved by the local ordinary or by the local bishop. Our Lady of Good Success is one of these cases where the local bishop approved this apparition. And let's listen to one of these quotes. Let's listen to one of these uh, prophetic messages that Our Lady gave us. It says, thus I make it known to you that from the end of the 19th century and shortly after the middle of the 20th century, the passions will erupt and there will be a total corruption of morals. As for the sacrament of matrimony, which symbolizes the union of Christ and his church, it will be attacked and deeply profaned. Freemasonry, which will then be in power, will enact iniquitous laws with the aim of doing away with the sacrament making it easy for everyone to live in sin and encouraging procreation of illegitimate children born without the blessing of the church. In this supreme moment of need for the church, the one who should speak will fall silent. Now, folks, I don't know who the one who shall speak is, but this is what I do notice. <clears throat> this is a, a prophecy directly about the breakdown of the sacrament of matrimony, and Our Lady calls it the supreme moment. Supreme. Sister Lucia said it was the final battle that was going to happen, and it was going to be an attack on the family. Very similar prophecies. I like to look at a few words, though, because sometimes when we hear final battle, we think, well, that's something that's to come. We're waiting for this. But this isn't a battle that we're waiting for. We need to look at what else can final mean? Does it mean last? If we think like heaven, there is no time in heaven. There is no last. There is no first, right? Our Lord said, I am the beginning and the end. We live in, heaven lives in eternity. So final to me, I started looking at some synonyms for final. What else could it mean? It doesn't just mean last. It means decisive, irrefutable, definitive, absolute. Remember, Our Lady of Good Success said, this is a supreme moment. It's definitive. It's, it's the battle. It's the battle that's been going on since, from the beginning of time. And that's important to consider. Why? Because if we're going to ask ourselves, how am I supposed to be a good Catholic dad? What is it that I'm supposed to do as a father? We need to understand what is my role in salvation history? What does this even mean? When God made made man and woman, what was my role? What, what was going to happen? Well, <clears throat> point number one, we have a mission from God. Understand that being a Catholic dad is a mission from God. It's not just something we made up. It's not just something we decided, oh, we need to create this family structure. It's not something that the president said, this is how you are a good dad. Notice that there are no presidential laws on being a good dad. There are president, there's, there are legal issues when we're not good dads. When we, when we go through divorce, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit and, and how we figure out our role sometimes when things go wrong. But before things go wrong, we need to understand the structure of the family came from God. Being a dad and being a mom and having a family, it's a mission from God. How do we know? If we're going to be Catholic, let's go back to, back to scripture. Let's understand Genesis chapter 1, verses 21 to 30, uh, 27 through 30, excuse me. So Genesis 1, 27 to 30, let's look at how God created man. What did he say? What does the scripture tell us? It says, God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and all the living things that crawl on the earth. God also said, See, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the earth and every tree that has seed-bearing fruit on it to be your food. And to the wild animals, all the birds of the air and all the living creatures that crawl on the earth, I give all the green plants for food. And so it happened. <clears throat> okay, this is just the mission part. This is not even, we haven't gotten into the role of the family yet. What we know though is we have a mission. First thing is, and this is probably the most powerful part of all this, that this is a part that needs to give us a little bit taken aback. You know, a lot of people read this and they realize, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God said, be fertile and multiply. That's what he said to the woman and the man when he made him. And this is, remember, this is Genesis chapter one. We're going to get into Genesis chapter two in a little bit. But Genesis chapter one, yeah, be fertile and multiply. That's our mission from God. True. We can look at that. <clears throat> However, let's back up a little bit. Let's start with the fact that it says, God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Right there, that should give us a huge pause. If I start thinking, what am I supposed to do as a dad? What am I supposed to do as a Catholic dad? The very first thing I got to think about is I have a mission from God, but I've been created in the image of God. That's huge. This is a huge, the greatness has been thrust upon us. And we didn't ask for it. It was thrust upon us, but this is where we're at. Sometimes we don't ask for these things. It's kind of like somebody who all of a sudden inherits a throne or inherits a lot of money or something. Out of nowhere, this power was just given to them. And now they got to figure it out. It's not a question of, oh, I don't want this. Nope, you're, you're the king now. I didn't ask to be king. I didn't ask to be in charge of anything. Nope, oh, that's your role now. Whether you like it or not, you got to live up to this role. Well, let's look at this. We're created in the image and likeness of God. Is this a problem? It can be if we decide, you know what? I'm not going to try to understand this, and I'm not going to try to live up to that. That can be a problem. The issue is, for us as Catholic men, if you're going to ask me, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to help my marriage? You know, my wife says I need to be there. Why? <clears throat> if we don't understand that we were created in the image of God, none of that's going to make sense. But if we were created in the image of God, we have to ask ourselves, what do I know about God? What do I understand about God? What am I supposed to live up to? He created man and woman in the image and likeness of himself. We have to understand that we don't live in a bubble because we know that God lives as a trinity. The very first thing we got to understand is God lives as a sacrament himself because he teaches us what sacraments are. Sacraments are merely living symbols of the grace of God. It helps us get a little bit closer to God. And God created Man and woman said, be fertile and multiply. In those sentences, he asked us to join each other. Whether we like it or not, he asked us to join each other, man and woman. Sometimes we say, gosh, I don't understand women. And women say, I don't understand men. But in the sacrament of matrimony, if we look at canon law, canon 1057, 1050, sorry, let's start with canon 1056 and 1057. Well, we know that sacraments have a couple of things in order for them to be valid and they can never be changed. Okay, these are things that can never be changed. And those are called the form and the matter of the sacrament. These two things have to exist together in order for a sacrament to be valid. This is where we get our mission, men. This is when we're going to say, I'm a Catholic father. Before that, we have to understand, well, before I'm a Catholic father, I have to have been married. Right. I need to have a wife. Let's start there. The break's coming up. But when we come back from the break, we've got to understand what's our mission? What does it mean to be a sacrament? And how is that going to help me be a better Catholic husband and father? 
we're going to take big steps into making things right in our life if they're not already. And if they are already right, we're going to make them better. All right, folks, well, welcome back to the Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Louis Sandoval Show, where we talk about being Catholic. We talk about our Catholic health, our mental health, our physical health, and our spiritual health. And like I always say, in order to be good Catholics, we got to think like Catholics. In order to live like Catholics, in order to be Catholic. Today, we're talking about how do I think like a Catholic in order to be a stronger father, stronger father in the Catholic faith? How do I lead my family in the Catholic faith? Well, a lot of times guys will ask me, how can I be a good dad? And I say, we got to start by being good husbands, believe it or not. Why do we start by being good husbands? Because if I want to be a good dad, the first thing I'm going to teach my kids is how to love my spouse. You know, a lot of times we worry about our kids learning at school. You know, I got to make sure that these kids get a good degree. I want my son to have a good degree. I want my daughters to have a good degree. I want them to have good careers in life. I want them to not have to struggle. I want them to to study, to get good grades. And we send them off to school to study. And that's great. That's what we got to do. I do hope they learn their math and their grammar and all these great things that they need to learn. But guess what? Before we even sent them to school, they've already been learning. They've already been going to school. They've been going to a different school, maybe not the school that, you know, the the state regulated school, the public school, or if you're lucky to have them a parochial school, you know, they're not going to that school just yet. They're going to the most important school, and that's the domestic church school. They're learning their catechism right at home. And what are they learning? They're learning what the sacrament of marriage is all about. They're learning how a man, how a husband loves a wife, how a wife loves a husband, because they're seeing how mom and dad interact. Why is this important to consider? Because before I can think about being a good dad, I got to remember before those kids were there, I promised to love my wife. This was the sacrament that I took on. This is the mission from God. Before the break, we were talking about how we know that there is a mission from God. We read, read from Genesis chapter one, and we have to understand the sacrament of matrimony as it stands, even as it, it's, it stands by canon law. This is what it tells us. If you look at canon 1056 and 1061, we know that there is the matter of the matrimony. The matter is the consent between the man and the woman, along with their desire to live together in unity, as well as the consummation of the marriage. Meaning that we have to give each uh, give to each other entirely of ourselves. There has to be a unity where we're going to live together now because we're no longer separate. We are one. We have to give to each other mentally 100%, spiritually 100%, and physically 100%. The sacrament demands that. Why? Not because we made that up, but because we read in Genesis that God said, be fertile and multiply. And there's only one way he made us multiply, and that's through our physical union. God set that up. That's the matter. Before I can have this matter, though, the matter of the, of the sacrament, I have to have the form. And the form is the consent of marriage. Meaning what? Let's read this a little bit. This is from Canon 1057. When the spouses give this consent publicly, meaning this is when we exchange our vows, the consent is a vows. It says, I promise to love you. Do you accept that? I do. I do accept that you promise to love me. And then I hear the same thing from my spouse. I promise to love you. And then somebody's going to ask me, do you accept that? I say, I do. Now, the person asking us this, it can be a priest, a bishop, a deacon, get married in the church to have a sacramental marriage. They did not marry us. They merely witnessed that I accepted, that I consented to my wife's promises and that she consented to mine. 
the I do, that's what marries us. We marry each other. The witnesses are just there to make sure that this is true, that we both said this, that we're making a public declaration. Notice that this is what it says. When the spouses give this consent publicly in front of the church, the marriage is presumed valid. Our consent is what marries us. That's the form of the marriage. We said I do. That's what makes it, that's what brings us to the matter. The matter of the marriage is the fact that we said I do, but now we got to live that out. You both agreed to love each other. Now you've become one. Now you go live in the same place. And now you start to have a family. Because this oneness needs to be multiplied. This love needs to be multiplied. Why? Because we go back to Genesis. We had read. What had we read in Genesis? God created mankind in his image. This idea of marriage and having children with my spouse comes from the image of God as the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have two entities who love each other, and out of that love grows a spirit. That's our children. I love you so much that I want to reproduce what we have together. I want to reproduce this love and be have a physical representation of this love of ours, and that's our children. That's the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. That's the representation of the love between the Father and the Son. There's no question about that. The Trinity lives in family and asks us to live in family. That's the first thing we need to think of as if we're going to be good dads or if we're going to wonder, am I a good dad? What does it mean to be a father? It means, one, I have a mission, a mission given to me by God. And this is why I take a step back and say, we got to remember that this mission was given to me by God to live in a sacramental life with my wife. It's a vocation, a calling from God. Let's take a step back and think about what that means a little bit. A lot of times I think people have a vocation to a wedding. A lot of times people really feel like they, they're called to have a wedding. And they put a lot of effort into this one day. It's a big day. There's no question about it. It's the start of the sacramental marriage. <clears throat> but people focus so much on the wedding day. I've got to have the right dress. I've got to have the right tuxedo. We've got to have this right cake. We've got to make sure that everybody's impressed with our wedding. I got to have an impressive wedding. I got to make sure that everything's expensive and put a lot of money into it. This is important for a lot of people to have a very uh, lavish, rich wedding. And that's great. I, I, I have nothing against that. So long as you understand what the wedding means. If you're really worried about this one day, what I would ask is, okay, what does this one day represent though? Do you understand that this is going to be for the rest of your life? Are you preparing for the sacrament of marriage or are you preparing for a wedding day? That's really the question to ask because when I look at what's going on in society, weddings are easy to come by. I can I can be drunk somewhere in, in a town and go to the local uh, uh, chapel. You know, there's towns where there's a lot of gambling and a lot of different things going on and you can be drunk and you not even be thinking correctly. You could be under the influence of alcohol, go to a chapel and, and say you want to get married to somebody you just met. There'll be witnesses there and they say, hey, you guys want to get married? I can't stop you. Go ahead. Let's get married. You get married? Nobody thought twice about it, right? They let you sign the paper. It's just a paper after all to many people. You can get married under those circumstances too. My question is, is that a true marriage? Is that a valid marriage? Was that a marriage with the intention that I'm going to live out a sacramental life, a vocation? Did I feel called to this by God? This is where the decision comes in. Because if we look at how priests, how do you become a priest? Is it overnight? Do you go to some place? Do you go to the courthouse and say, I want to be a priest? Do I knock on the bishop's door and say, I want to be a priest? And he says, sure, here, sign this paper. You're a priest. No, there's a preparation that takes place. You got to study for four years, usually, of philosophy or something along those lines. Then you got to study another four years of theology and understand 
what God, you know, the relationship between God and man in salvation history. And then depending on where you want to be a priest, you might take a couple of years of really uh, delving into being a deacon for a while or doing something. It's not an overnight success story. There's a road that takes place because we have to look into ourselves and ask ourselves, is this something that God is calling me to do? This is a big undertaking. Well, <clears throat> same thing if you want to be a nun, you know, you have your postulant year, your novice year, you do your, your primary vows, your junior vows, and then you do your uh, lifelong vows. It all depends on where you join and how they set up the structure, but you don't do this overnight. It's a process. It's a process to, to become this, to ask yourself, is this a life that God is calling me into the church? When was the last time we talked about marriage that way? When was the last time that we said, hey, you got to have an novitiate year? First, you got to be a postulant. We don't even know if you have a calling to marriage the way the church calls for marriage, right? Do we tell this to guys? Do we sit down with our with our sons and say, do you feel you have a calling to be married? Do you feel that you have a mission from God to be married? Do you feel you have a vocation to the sacrament of marriage? Let's start to prepare. This is where it falls on us parents. This is where if I'm going to be a good dad, I got to start thinking that way. I can't, if I'm already married, I got to ask myself, am I living out my calling the way God wanted me to? I can no longer ask myself, do I have a calling to this? I'm already married. But if I want to be a good dad, I got to look at my kids and ask, what's their vocation in life? Have I been praying for their vocation? This is an important concept to consider because we are the postulant year, the novitiate year, the junior vow year. We're the example of that for our kids. There's no question about that. Mom and dad, that's our role. Well, let's talk about that. Let's look at point number two. What's our role in the family? Now, the role of the husband is to be the head of the family. There's no question about that. The role of the husband is to be the, the head of the family. There's no question about it. how do we know that? How do we know that God gave us this role to be the head of the family? Now, in society nowadays, that doesn't always sound good. What do you mean the man's the head of the family? Oh, he's in charge. I don't think he should be in charge. Well, the man is the spiritual head of the family. We can talk about the material issues because some people say, well, you know, unfortunately, I can't work. I'm, I'm disabled or something along those lines. And my wife's the one who works and I stay home with the kids. So I feel like I'm not the head of the family. I feel like she's in charge. Or sometimes people say, no, 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 we're both equally in charge because we separate our tasks and all. And that's fine. I'm not talking about the material in charge of the family. I'm talking about the spiritual in charge of the family, which supersedes everything doesn't matter what's going on as far as the finances you know gosh my wife has a better job she gets more money than i do i have a better job that's not the issue here being the head of the family means being the spiritual head of the family for man let's look at how we know this let's go to genesis chapter two now before we read the creation story in genesis chapter one let's look at genesis chapter two here we go dads genesis chapter two verses seven through eight it starts with then the lord formed the man out of the dust of the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and placed there the man whom he had formed. This is before he made Eve. First, he just made the man. He made the man first. <clears throat> Does that mean more important? Oh, check it out, wife. Got to talk to my wife and tell her, look, I was made first. Mm, doesn't mean that in the spiritual world. Let's look at what this means. First, we know that God formed us. I did not exist at one point. God formed me in my mother's womb. Okay, we can look at the Genesis story and say, well, yeah, he made him out of the dust of the ground. Sure. But he's made us to, as we saw in the first verse from Genesis chapter one, be fertile and multiply. He made us in his image. He made us 
co-creators. We have children now. We can help to create life. We help because we help physically, and God puts the soul in our child at the moment of conception. This is where the sin of abortion, it's a big deal. We know that there's a soul there. We know that there's a person there from the moment that the child is conceived. So from the moment I was conceived, God gave me a soul. And he is the one who blew life with the, he gave us the breath of life. It says he blew into his nostrils, into the man's nostrils, the breath of life. And that's when man became a living being. Our breath comes from God. That's our soul. The breath comes from God. And that's what makes us alive. As long as we keep our soul alive, he puts us in the garden. Okay, let's keep going. So that was Genesis chapter two. That was verse seven through eight. Let's look, fast forward a little bit. Genesis chapter two, verses 15 through seven. The Lord then took the man and settled him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and care for it. To cultivate and care for it is what it says. The Lord gave the man this order. You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From that tree, you shall not eat. When you eat from it, you shall die. This is important to consider. Why is this important to consider? Because God put man in the garden. He gave man this order. He let us know that if we eat of this tree, we shall die. And at this point, he has not yet made the woman. Is that important? It is very important. We're going to see why when we come back from the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Dr. Louis Sandoval's show. Today, we are talking about how can I be a good Catholic dad? It's a great question. You know, it's not an easy answer. Before we can even get to how we do it, we have to understand what it means to be a Catholic dad. We've been talking about our mission. We've been talking about the fact that God made us. That's huge to begin with. Believe it or not, it's something we take for granted. Well, yeah, yeah, God made me. God made me in his image. And that's something I need to live up to. We were talking about that earlier in the show. And before the break, we were talking about how, what is my role in the family? How do I know my role? We were looking at Genesis chapter two, and we were looking at the fact that God made man before he made woman, and the order to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was given to Adam before Eve was made. This is a big deal. Why is this a big deal? Because how was Eve supposed to learn about this? It doesn't say in the book that, you know, God made the woman, and then that's when he, you know, and then he told her about this. No, God made the woman. It doesn't tell us that God told her anything about this rule. It was up to Adam. He said, Adam, I'm putting you in charge, and you're the one who needs to tell Eve what to do here. Not because it's your rules, not because you're setting the standard, but because I told you to do that. And you got to let her know this is what God wants from us. That's a big deal, guys. This this goes down to us as well. If I'm going to lead a Catholic family, if I'm going to be the head of the Catholic family, I have to be listening to what God is telling us. What does God want from us? What does God need from us? What is God telling me I need to do to lead the family? And I need to convey that message to my wife. I need to know what's in my heart and that my heart is pure and that what I'm getting is a mission from God and I'm getting the word from God in order to fulfill my role so that I can convey that to my family. That's a big deal. That's a big spiritual deal. This is one when you're the spiritual head, it's a huge responsibility. It's a responsibility that we really don't want. How do I know we don't want that responsibility? Because in order to get there, 
Well, we're going to talk about what we got to do in order to get there, but we really got to get in tune with what God wants from us. Let's understand this a little bit more, though, because people aren't going to like hearing sometimes wives aren't going to like hearing. Oh, so you think you're better because you were made first or because God gave you. So that's what puts you over me. It doesn't put me over you. It gives me the role that I need to leave this family and I need to listen to what God's saying and convey it to the family. That's a big deal. It's also a big deal because I need to get my wife to love me in that way and trust me enough that what I'm doing is what's good for our family. All right. So God gave this information to Adam. He said, you can't eat of the fruit of, of, the, of the tree of good and evil, of knowledge of good and evil. <clears throat> and all this happened before he created Eve. Now, why would God do this? Why would God make man before he made the woman? We're different, obviously, man and woman. We're equal in dignity. We're equal in dignity before the eyes of God because he created both of us in his image and likeness. So I need to respect that. I need to look at my wife and realize she was created in the image of likeness of God, just like me. Our lives together are what are a living, breathing sacrament. That's huge. Now that I understand that, I need to ask myself, why would God make man first? Well, one of the things that I know, just looking at a man physically from a medical standard, a man's going to be stronger than a woman. There's no question about that. He's going to have more muscle mass. Usually we're taller for the most part on average. Uh, you know, there's all these distinctive characteristics that if you put a man and a woman together on for all intents and purposes, for the most part, the man will be physically stronger. The man will have masculine traits, right? A little bit more um, <clears throat> assertive sometimes, maybe not so sentimental. We have these different traits. A woman, we could say, might be more in touch with her emotions. Why is that important? Why does that mean that a man is better than a woman or a woman's better than a man? No. We complement each other. These are good things to be because we're going to use these tools to help each other is the idea. But why would he make Eve last? Well, if we look at it this way, as he's doing it, as God is creating uh, during, that, during the book of Genesis, we see him creating. He's creating from chaos and disorder to order. And the last thing he creates before he rests is the woman. The last thing he creates, which we're leading towards more order, more perfection, if you will, more perfection in making everything organized and arranged. He keeps going and he perfects it when he creates the woman. Why would he make man stronger and the woman last and yet ask us to live together in harmony? It's making man stronger because you got to remember when he made that garden, he told Adam to care for it. And if you look at it, he says, cultivate it and care for it. A lot of theologians will tell you he actually said to defend it to protect the garden. Why would the garden need protection or to be defended? Because there might be something that might try to attack it. So I need somebody who's strong to protect the woman. Why does a woman need protection? Why would I need to make somebody to protect the woman? Because the woman carries life. Again, the woman carries life. <clears throat> and what was God preparing for? Why would he finalize that perfection with a woman? Because he knew he was going to make Our Lady. He knew he was going to make a woman who was so perfect that he himself could become a man and come to the earth through the woman he created. We need to think about that as Catholic husbands because it's very easy for us to think I'm the head of the household and being the head of the household, I need to have my cave. I need to watch my games. I need to sit down with a, with a brewski and not be bothered for a while. And that's all fine and dandy. We do need our times to kind of recharge our batteries and get ourselves back in order. But in order for what? To hang out with the guys, to do a better job at work. No, technically speaking, if we're gonna, if I'm gonna ask the question, how can I be a better dad? 
I need to recharge my batteries so that I can think about how to be a better dad so that I can be there for my family because it takes energy. It takes work to be there for the family. But I also have to learn how to think. And if I'm going to learn how to think, that means that as a Catholic, I have to see my wife as a fact that she's the bearer of life. And this is a big deal. I'm there to protect her. My job is to protect her and the rest of my family spiritually, not just physically. The physical attributes are merely an outward sign of what's supposed to be happening spiritually. Spiritually, I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to be the strength of the family. That's the message that I'm given. Now, in society, you're going to get a mixed message. You're going to hear a term like toxic masculinity. I looked this up on the internet and said, what's toxic masculinity? What's the definition? And this is what I came up with. This is what, what I found. It's socially dominant, along with related traits such as misogyny and homophobia. It can be considered toxic, due in part to their promotion of violence, including sexual assault and domestic violence. The socialization of boys in patriarchal societies often normalizes violence, such as in saying boys will be boys about bullying and aggression. Now, I'll tell you what, some of this is true. Sometimes we do treat our boys or ourselves in a way that we think, gosh, because I'm physically dominant, I need to be an aggressor. We need to change that thought process. This is where society is going to use that against that, use that against us if that's the way we're thinking. We need to change this thought process to say, I am physically dominant, technically speaking. That means I need to be the protector. That means that I have a treasure here that I need to protect. So if something's going to invade, I better be ready to protect it. Well, the authority structure is going to be such that the moment of death, God is going to ask us as men, how did you protect the family? He's going to ask us, how did you protect it physically? Sure. Did you provide a structure where the family felt safe? But more importantly than that, how can I be a good Catholic dad? God's going to ask me, how did you protect the family spiritually? Were you aware of the dangers that were out there in society? Did you teach your children? Hmm, how do I do that? How do I find out about the spiritual dangers in society? How do I protect my family spiritually? First thing you got to understand, we got to understand, is that there is an authority structure, whether we like it or not. And my role is to be the spiritual head of the family, which means I'm the spiritual protector of the family. Okay. This authority structure, again, comes from God. How do I know that? Sometimes we find things out, what my job was, what I was supposed to do when things go wrong, right? Perfect example. I always tell people, guys, if you want to find out what your role is in a family and you haven't been following it and you think, oh, I can not pay attention to my wife. I can not listen to her when she says, I, I want to go to church. I, I go to church with, you know, my children and my husband stays at home and, and this is really sad for me. If you, and, you know, it starts to hurt me or he's not there with us. He's off working overtime because he wants to make more money, but he's not home. Eventually, there's a breakdown in the relationship. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can lead to a divorce, right? Which is not good for anybody. But what do we find out in a divorce? When things go wrong, that's when we start to see what should have happened. Well, if there's any doubt about it. What happens in a divorce? Usually, they start to look at, well, how much money do you make? Now you got to support the family. Now you got to do child support. Right? You got to, they say, you have kids, you got to, you got to take care of them. You got to take care of these kids. And now you're, we're going to structure your visitation. You have to take ownership of these kids. You got to see them every other weekend. Is it going to be 50 50 custody? There's a time where you have to be present for these kids. And guess what? Sometimes you're going to have to pay for your wife. You might have to pay some alimony to help support your wife. You now have to support your wife and children and be present for your children after you get divorced. When things go wrong, 
all of a sudden they're telling you, this is how you should have lived your life. This is how you should have been a dad. Now we expect you to be a dad, and which is pretty sad. It's kind of backwards, isn't it? Society should be telling us this beforehand. They should be saying, hey, these are your responsibilities as a dad. But like I said, sacrament of marriage, very quick to give it out. But we're not really enforcing it, usually until there's a divorce, legally speaking. Well, let's look at how it is spiritually. How do I know that there's a structure of authority? Because we go to fast forward to Genesis chapter 3. The woman ate of the fruit. The man ate of the fruit with her. And what happens then? Well, let's read it. Chapter 3, verse 9 through 12. It says, The Lord then called to the man and asked him, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have forbidden you to eat? And then man replied, The woman who you put there with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree, so I ate it. Okay, <clears throat> things go wrong. Well, it's her fault now. I, You know, it wasn't my fault. It's her fault. But here's what we need to look at. From a spiritual perspective, what happened here? Did God say, hey, Eve, you ate from the fruit of this tree first. What's going on? You should have known. You should have heard from Adam that you weren't supposed to do this. Why'd you do this? No. God comes in to the picture. He sees that Adam is distant. says, where are you? God knows where he is. But he's asking him, where are you internally? Why aren't we connected? Have you ever been in a room with somebody and and you felt so distant from them? But he asked Adam first. Why did he ask Adam first? Because he said, I put you in charge. I gave you the rules. I gave you the rules before I created the woman. You were supposed to pass this on. What happened? Where was the breakdown? Why didn't you stick to the rules? Where is your heart? Now you are distant. How do we get closer to God? How do we avoid this? We're going to see that when we come back from the break. All right, folks, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You are listening to the Dr. Lee Sandoval Show. Here we are, last part of our segment, last segment of our show, and we are talking about how can I be a good Catholic dad? What does that really mean in society? Well, we've been talking about a few things before we can even get to that. And we might have to do a two-parter here because there's a lot to unravel. We have to understand what does it even mean to be a dad? And we said, hey, in order to be a Catholic dad, I'm assuming we have a Catholic marriage. We were in the sacrament of marriage and we got married and now we have a wife to take care of. Before I can be a good dad, you got to be a good husband. There's no question about that. I got to love my wife. That's number one. Why? Because I'm teaching the kids a whole lot with the way I treat my wife. When I sit with her, when I hold her, the way I talk to her, are we holding hands? Do the children see that we love each other? Do they see that sometimes we argue? Possibly, because not everything is perfect, right? We're not yet in heaven where there are no arguments. We're going to have differences of ideas. But if we do have an argument, do we come back? And do we tell the children, look, mom and dad can argue. We're going to have different ideas, but we're always going to get back together. We're just trying to figure things out trying to figure out how your mom thinks. She's trying to figure out how I think. Our emotions can get involved in there because if I don't feel like I'm listened to or she doesn't feel like she's listened to, that's going to cause some issues. There's no question about that. But we come back together and we hold each other together because we are married. Our children are going to see that. They're going to learn a lot just from that. If there's if there's a lack of peace among the life of our children, the first thing I would say is, am I there for my wife? Am I present for my wife? That's the very first thing that's going to help to fix a lot of things. You're going to notice if I start figuring out how to love my wife better, my children are going to know that 
And in the spiritual world, there's going to be a whole lot of healing in their lives. They're going to feel secure. We're going to have graces coming in through our family that are going to help the children. If I want to know how to be a good dad, be a good husband first. The next thing that we need to know about how to be a good dad is be present. Being present, sometimes we think, well, what does that mean? What, what does it mean to be present? We have to be spiritually present. A lot of dads, we're, we're really good at being materially present because that's what we need to do, right? That's what society tells us we need to do. I need to make some money, bring home some bacon, make sure that my kids are well-fed, right? And make sure that we have the material goods we need. And I feel like I did a good job as a dad. I provided for my family. Well, we know that we're supposed to provide materially, but like I said, Sometimes we can't always predict what's going to happen. What if I get disabled, lose my job? And let's say that the wife is making more money or she's the primary breadwinner for whatever reasons. Does that mean that, oh, well, I'm not the head of the family now. I don't have to be present anymore because I'm less than that. My wife is providing the material goods. No, our job to be the spiritual heads of the family is there regardless of what's going on in the material world. What does it mean to be present spiritually? We got to look at that because that's where we got to start. Sometimes we used to watch old movies where they used to say, oh, the man was a strong, silent type. We do have to be strong, but our presence is never silent. Let me give you an example. What does it mean to be present? On the one hand, if we look at it on the surface, it just means to be there. That's pretty self-explanatory and simple, right? To be at the home. But Dr. Samuel, I want to go out with my friends. I want to go have a beer. I want to go watch a game. Yeah, of course you do. And it's okay to do every now and then. But have you been present to your family before you take off? Are you always out somewhere and you're not there for your wife and kids? You're not even around. Is your presence known? Why would this be important? Well, because let me give, let's just use an example of nature. You know, if I'm going to go out and I see a lion's den and I want to go attack this lion's den or get something out of it or somehow infiltrate this lion's den, what's the first thing I'm going to want to know? Where's the male lion? Where's the lion who's supposed to be there protecting the den? If he's off somewhere, if he's not there, I already feel like I've won. I already feel like I've won, not because I'm necessarily stronger than the females, but because they don't have any protection. There's nobody there to protect them. I know that the females are going to do their job. They're going to go out and hunt and get food and, and be busy with what they need to provide for their family. But if the male's there, I think I'm not even going to go in there. I'm not going to attack it. He might be there. He might be sleeping for all I know. But if he's there... I know there's going to be a battle, and I know that there's probably a battle I'm not going to win. Assuming he's been fed well, that he's taken care of, and that he's well-rested, that he's, you know, gone out with his buddies a couple times to come back and be ready to protect the family, that's going to be a problem. Spiritually speaking, i got to be spiritually present, because if there's any dark forces that want to come in and infiltrate my family, if they see that I'm praying, if they see that I'm present before God, if they see that I'm present to my family, if they see that I'm there, and that I'm physically, spiritually healthy, physically healthy, spiritually healthy, mentally healthy, that I'm reading my Bible, that I'm saying my prayers, that I'm trying my best to get closer to God, that's going to be terrifying for anybody who's going to try to infiltrate our family spiritually. doesn't mean they won't try. They might see it as a challenge. But boy, I would probably avoid that situation, being spiritually present. How do we know that presence is important? What does it mean to be present? There's a few examples we can use. Let's look at the Bible. How do we know that presence is powerful? Because our actions speak louder than words. Just being there is already powerful and saying, I want to be part of the family. But if we look at the Bible, the best example of this, of course, is St. Joseph. We look at what he did, does not say one word in the Bible. 
strong silent type definitely strong i would challenge saying that he was silent at all his actions spoke volumes he listened to god let's look at some of the some of these readings here let's look for the book of matthew chapter one verse 19 it's where it starts and it says joseph her husband since he was a righteous man yet unwilling to expose her to shame decided to divorce her quietly now this is the part where saint joseph finds out that our lady is carrying a child he realizes it's not his child that's a big deal right what if you were engaged to somebody and they told you hey i'm pregnant now but don't worry this is a child from god would we trust that mm, don't have to trust that anymore there's been only one christ and that's it there's not going to be another immaculate birth so nowadays we can make certain decisions but saint joseph was in the same position he didn't want to expose our lady to shame he said he probably thought gosh you know this was a big sin, but I don't want you to get stoned. He was a righteous man. Let's not forget that. That's where we need to start. Am I a righteous man? Am I getting closer to God? And what are my actions? If I'm a righteous man, I'm not going to condemn people in their sins. Let's start with that. Let's have that in my mentality. If my kids do something wrong, am I going to beat that into them? Am I going to get mad at them about that? Or am I going to say, let's take a step back. I'm not going to put you into shame. Let's see what we can do to repair where you are spiritually. That's a huge one. Now, goes the gospel goes on to say, such was his intention. Remember, he was going to divorce her quietly so as to not shame her. When behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. For it is through the Holy Spirit that this child has been conceived in her. She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. This is a big deal. This is how we know St. Joseph was present before God. He not only has a dream, am I willing to make decisions in my family because of a dream? Am I willing to? Am I willing to make decisions in my family because I hear the word of God? And how do I know that it's the word of God speaking to me? If we look at this, the angel addresses St. Joseph by name. He says, Joseph, son of David. He says, I know who you are. I'm not just saying random Joseph. You are of the lineage of David. Am I hearing the word of God telling me, Dr. Sandoval, of the lineage of Christ, are you hearing the word of God calling you and telling you that you're the lineage of Christ and he has a mission for you? I know who you are. This is not a mistake. It's not a wrong number. I'm calling you. Don't be afraid. Take this mission because I'm giving it to you the same way he said that to St. Joseph. Don't be afraid. Do this. Take them in. And you got to give the child a different name. You can't even name him Joseph, right? Usually you pass on the name, but here he said you're going to name him Jesus. And what did St. Joseph do? What did St. Joseph do? When St. Joseph awoke, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took his wife into his home. He didn't question it. He said, if this is of God, I need to do it. I don't understand it. I don't know it, I, but I don't have to understand it. God is giving me this mission. It's not for me to understand. Now, is that the only time that he listened to God? No. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 2. This is where all of a sudden it says, when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. They just have this child. And all of a sudden, what do they got to do? Up and leave to Egypt. Got a message from God again. And he's saying, there's destruction coming your way. I need you to move. I need you to move to a different place. Are we ready to listen to God like that and take action? This is where we are men of action men of presence. Again, St. Joseph has not said anything at this point, right? Because he doesn't have to. 
His actions are the voice of God. The voice of God is his voice. This is where I got to ask myself, as a dad, if I'm going to be a good Catholic dad, am I hearing the voice of God? Because being the spiritual head of the family means I no longer have my own voice. I no longer make the rules. The rules are set by God. It's my job by my actions, which are going to speak very loudly, my presence. Do my children know that our job is we got to follow the word of God because that's what dad is telling us to do. God's not telling me to follow his own word. God is following God's word. And his spiritual example, his job as the head of the family is to teach me and to help me follow God's word. This is where we got to give examples. This is our presence. I got to know God's word first. I got to study it. I got to think like a Catholic. I got to sit down and read my Bible. I got to sit down and refresh myself on the catechism. That's how I'm a good dad. Why? Because when I do that for myself, as I live out my life, as I take action for my own life, my children will see that. My wife will see that. And they will follow. They're going to follow me following God. I can't set the rules for myself. I'm not that smart. I don't know what to do spiritually for my family of my own will. I lose my will. It's the will of God that needs to work. That's how we become good Catholic fathers. We start by aligning ourselves with God so that hopefully if things go wrong, hopefully they don't go wrong, but if things go wrong, God's not saying, hey, Dr. Sandoval, where are you? That's what he said to Adam, right? You're so distant. Where are you? I'm sure God saw him. Everything's before God. He could see where he was, but his question of where are you was more a question of where are you internally? You're so distant from me right now. You're no longer listening to me. We don't have that friendship. Have we ever lost a good friend where we say, yeah, we were really close at one point, but now we're not close anymore. Now we can be in the same room physically. We're right there. But yeah, we're not close. What does that mean? It means there's something that's not aligned with us. Our hearts aren't close. Our mind isn't close. We no longer live in the same environment. We're no longer there for each other, even in the same room. My question is, do I want to be a good dad, a good Catholic dad? Am I there with God or am I distant from God? If I'm close to God, that's going to come down through me to my family. That's my role as the head of the family. That's a big role. That's where it starts. Because if I don't do that, I leave my family up to be vulnerable. I leave them up to be vulnerable and not protected. When the forces of evil come to try to get us, I hope that I have prepared, that I have kept close to God, and that in my heart I understand I have a mission from God in my sacrament of marriage. I was called to this. And within the sacrament of marriage, God has given me spiritual authority so that if I am close to God, nothing can penetrate my family. My children will not fall prey to that what, what, the, girl, what the world is telling them to do because the world's always going to tell them to do something different. They're not going to fall into the occult. They're not going to start listening to satanic music. They're not going to start doing rituals. They're not going to start thinking that witchcraft is good for them. They're not going to start thinking that doing drugs is good. They're going to align their hearts to God based on how well I'm aligned to God. And so if we want to be Catholic dads, that's step number one. Let's align ourselves to God. Let's read our Bible. Let's know what it means to be Catholic and start living out our Catholic faith as good fathers. As always, I say, start thinking like Catholics so we can live like Catholics so we can be Catholic. Until next time, Dr. Sandoval saying, see you next week and keep it Catholic.